Welcome to Inside the Castle, the podcast that goes behind castle doors to have real conversations with real people about solving the nation's toughest challenges. I'm one of your hosts today, Angie Fryermuth, and I have a special guest with me today. Hello, great to be here, <laughs> Vanessa Alberto, archaeologist and tribal liaison sitting in St. Paul District. Thank you, Vanessa, for hosting this podcast with me today. In this episode, we're showcasing one of the many career fields of the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers in a series we like to call A Day in the Life of. It's been a while since we've did one of these episodes, so I'm excited to have the opportunity to learn more about archaeology within the Corps of Engineers. So thank you all for joining us today. Hello, hello. Before we go too much further, we always like to get to know our guests. So uh, starting with Nancy, can you all tell us about yourself and how you came to the Corps of Engineers and what programs uh, you have supported within the Corps? Hi, I'm Nancy Brighton. I am the Deputy Federal Preservation Officer for the Corps of Engineers. I grew up in New Jersey and I started my career after going to school for historic archeology span at Boston University and doing master's work at New York University in Anthropology. I started as a student, so I was a GS7 at New York District, and I worked my way through the ranks doing uh, a variety of cultural resources support work. I worked on military projects, flood risk management projects, coastal storm risk management projects. I worked for the regulatory division, and I did work under what used to be called support for others, but now is the interagency and international support, as well as formerly used defense site, the FUDS program, and the Native American Lands and Environmental Management Program. So a variety of things at the New York District. I was a team leader, so I worked with people who did the National Environmental Policy Act compliance, as well as doing cultural resources. And I was a section chief before coming to headquarters as the Deputy Federal Preservation Officer and the Cultural Resources Community of Practice Lead. Thank you. Mark, how about you? Uh, yes, good afternoon. Um, my name is Mark Smith. I am a section chief and archaeologist here in the St. Louis District where I work for the uh, Mandatory Center of Expertise for the Curation and Management of Archaeological Collections. Quite a mouthful. Um, I came into the Corps. To, I was a graduate student at New York University along with uh, Susan. And uh, we had both worked in the Middle East a number of times. So um, at some point, uh, the mandatory center that I work for now uh, was doing some mass grave excavations in Iraq. And they hired the, the company, the geoarchaeological company that both Susan and I worked for to help them out with that mass grave recovery work. So I worked in Iraq for almost about two years, finished up my dissertation and uh, they hired always put it as a point of contention they always had they hired susan first and then uh, a year later they uh, came around to getting me hired at the mcx too and that was in 2011 and i've worked for them ever since as an archaeologist and now as a uh, supervisory archaeologist i work at the mcx largely for work for others and iis work that nancy described uh, and also working in civil work projects in uh, district archaeology nice thank you and Susan, how about you? Yeah, Susan Malin Boyce here, archaeologist in the St. Paul District. And Mark and I met actually in graduate school at NYU. And then we did work for the same geoarchaeology firm and wound up being tapped, as it were, to go and work on the Mass Graves Project in Iraq. We had done some other work for the Corps of Engineers, and the Corps of Engineers seemed like 
it was a, an occupation that presented um, sort of exciting opportunities and, uh, and those opportunities became available following the project in Iraq. And so um, we went to work for the MCX. I got there just a bit before Mark did. I was there from, I think, 2008 until 2016 when I came to the St. Paul District, where I have been ever since working on a large project here. It's been a fun ride. Awesome. Thanks, you guys. So, Nancy, tell us about the role archaeologists play in the core and the importance of that role. So, most of what we refer to as the cultural resources staff within the Corps of Engineers, the majority, are archaeologists. Um, I, so, as a cultural resources community of practice lead, I uh, maintain contact and I provide information to all of the cultural resources staff. And so in that with the archeologists, um, I don't have a, a direct accounting of those who are specifically been trained in archeology, span but in my contact list, we have over 190 um, at any one time. It comes and goes because people do, we have interns, we have student trainees that come on and they come and move around. So at least 190 individuals at the time. And like I said, probably about 75% of those are strictly uh, people who have trained and studied um, archaeology, whether it's archaeology in the United States or archaeology elsewhere. Probably the most type of work we do in archaeology is the study of uh, the past and the past uh, culture, human life ways through uh, material remains. So not to be confused with paleontology, because sometimes that happens, although we do get involved with that too, which is a little bit outside of our realm. Mostly what we do is, is so looking at what the potential to um, and consider effects to archaeological resources as representation of the past as repetition of history, whether it's Native American past or colonial past or whichever one of the you know phases within wherever you know you're from. So we have a variety of regulations that control and require us to do that, particularly you might hear us speak about very frequently. Section 106 of the National Historic Preservation Act, which requires all federal agencies to consider uh, effects of its undertakings, things that it does on historic properties. And one of those historic properties are archaeological resources. So archaeology plays a very particular role because that's probably what we most frequently encounter or need to consider when we're looking at a variety of core projects. And that includes the archaeology on land, as well as the archaeology underwater, which I think people forget about a lot, but there's a variety of marine archaeology that uh, the Corps of Engineers gets involved with. We do a lot of work on the shorelines, in the rivers, and we have a lot of operating projects where we have created lakes and reservoirs that sit on top of former land surfaces on which uh, humans have occupied for thousands of years. So we have, it's, a, it's actually a rather large sort of uh, property management as well as consideration in terms of looking at uh, effects of store properties. However, that's it's well, it's a large part. I'd probably say it goes to at least 50 to 60, 75% of what we really do. There's a good percentage of other things. We also have to consider effects to the built environment, often which are buildings, objects, often which also have an archeological component. So archeologists get involved in a lot of different uh, cultural resources categories as well as bringing in some of our other expertise that we have in the core, which are architectural historians, historians, landscape architects, 
Uh, we have curation specialists, we have curators, a whole variety of things and a few I'm not mentioning. So hopefully nobody gets concerned, but we most often um, have to consider archeology span We had a lot of our projects to understand what's going on, what potential effect, what effect we might have. Uh, what are the resources in terms of being a historic property? Are they something we should consider uh, based on the criteria of the National Register of Historic Places is how we evaluate things and how we work with communities and the public to understand how they feel about the past within their own communities and what that archaeology can speak of and how they view that sort of resource and want to incorporate it in the consideration. Thanks, Nancy. Great answer. Mark, did you have anything to add from your perspective? Um, no, Nancy did, uh, description was, was uh, right on. I would point out that uh, it, we actually work for many different clients too. Uh, a lot, everything that Nancy mentioned is usually most archaeologists in the Corps of Engineers. You think of it, they're doing for federal projects, uh, any federal undertaking that the Corps does. That's our 106 responsibilities. So when we're at the operating projects or building a levy, any of our federal undertakings. Also, we uh, do get a chance to work as a resource for other agencies, and many times, especially at the, the MCX here. So as well as doing that kind of compliance work for our own agency, we also do it for other agencies, whether it be FEMA, um, as Nancy had mentioned, or IMCOM, the Installation Management Command, we do many projects for um, doing the same kind of compliance work, or sometimes work that isn't straightforward compliance under 106. This would be helping out some other agencies, maybe on forensic recovery projects, um, working for the Office of Army Cemeteries or um, Arlington National Cemetery. Sometimes we help out other agencies like DPAA, which is a defense, POW, MIA accounting agency. We do that work not only for the Corps, but we are an asset for other agencies, the government. Well, when I started with the Corps 20 plus years ago, I would have never guessed that the Corps of Engineers had archaeologists uh, on staff. Through the years, I've learned the, the value that you all play in every aspect of the Corps of Engineers. As we talk more about archaeology within the Corps, I want to ask, you know, what has been the most interesting part of the work that you've done throughout the years and why? So the most interesting projects, it's hard. My career spans, and I don't feel like it does. But I started in the Corps in March in 1992. There, I've said it, you can do the math. Um, very <laughs> long time. So I have had a variety of experiences, which I think is probably the best thing about working for the Corps of Engineers. No two projects are the same, even though they purport to be. You know, doing, working in the different areas, nothing is the same. So every day is both a new, the good thing is it gets to, it's new it's a, and it's a new challenge. That can be difficult when you have a, a fair number of projects. So it's the variety that really that really gets, you know, I think why I've stayed so long. I've done and taken advantage of that variety. And I think that's another aspect of the core and, and young people coming into the core. I said I started as a student. I was seven, not a seven, but a GS seven, uh, a lower graded student. There's an opportunity to do a variety of things. So that's how I got into doing military programs. But some of my most uh, sort of interesting projects and projects that I still remember through time. I started working, we did some actual archeology span out at Montauk Point Lighthouse. I did a FUDS project on David's Island in which we got to analyze an entire military community and that influence of that military community on the land side. And we ended up creating 
a website archive. We called it a, you know, internet exhibit that still the Westchester County still uses. Um, I've worked for the U.S. Military Academy at West Point, and I got to see both the, you know, the academy, the cadets, and the entirety of their cultural resources in that National Historic Landmark up close and personal and behind the scenes. And that was sort of a, a fantastic experience. And how about you, Mark? Um, I would just second with what Nancy says. Um, I've been very lucky myself to be involved in the Corps on many different projects. As she said, that I think is one of the, um, the real rewards is uh, working on projects that are changing all the time and you're getting new things and you're doing things that you didn't think you'd be doing a year before. Some of my favorite projects, um, looking back, have often been ones where there's some more direct relationship to the work itself and some kind of community out there. Um, I know a lot of our work is, you know, bureaucrats, civil servants on Section 106 is writing up reports, reading reports, making sure we're in compliance. The only person that we have interaction with are the people that we're making pay for the archaeology work so they don't particularly appreciate us. So it's sometimes nice to work with the community um, more directly. The one that comes to mind right now, a current project is um, the Carlisle Indian Industrial School, where we are working directly with the Office of Army Cemeteries to repatriate uh, students who were uh, died and buried at uh, Carlisle Barracks, which used to be in an Indian industrial school in the late 19th century. Um, and these students died um, of usually infectious diseases. And after the Army took over the uh, barracks again, it took 100 years or so, but we have now, um, with the Office of Army Cemeteries, repatriating these children back to their tribes and their communities. And so we get to do that every summer. And it's much more directly tied to kind of an emotional thing. We have tribal elders come out. There's a lot of ceremonies. um, And we can see this direct effect to a community, uh, disadvantaged, historically disadvantaged communities, and um, which we don't often get to do in archaeology and the civil side of things. Um, And so that's probably my favorite project ongoing at the moment. My favorite project would be the the one that I'm working on now because I have the attention span of a gnat and I'm and I'm essentially focused on whatever I'm doing at the moment. But I have to agree with Mark that I mean the the projects that that feel particularly large in in memory are the ones where there's a connection to the public. I mean, we're in public service for a reason for the most of us. And so things like the the Mass Graves Project was a repatriation project and a project for um, for justice for Kurdish people, primarily Kurdish people. The Veterans Curation Program, which was something that was established in 2012 using ERA funding, was a, a program to help veterans and help veterans transition from military service to the private sector. Um, it's been an extremely successful program. Um, it's still ongoing. I think they have more labs now than they did when we first established the program. Arlington National Cemetery a number of years ago in like 2012 or at some point there began a recovery of some monumental architecture for reconstruction for some gates that had been sidelined, as it were. They were being stored in an unused part of the cemetery for 40 years. Um, and they're now re- reincorporated into the landscape of the cemetery where other people can enjoy them. The National Museum of the United States Army 
Um, when I was working in the MCX with Mark, one of the projects that we had was the pre preparation of artifacts, the small artifacts for display in that museum. And then the project that I'm working on now, which is the Fargo-Moorhead Metropolitan Area Flood Risk Management Project. It's a diversion channel that runs, it's a 30-mile channel that runs around the city of Fargo that's um, intended to ameliorate the effects of climate transformation or climate change and flooding on the city of Fargo. So all of these projects are extremely rewarding. Uh, they're complex. They have emotional levels of response for their participants. And it's the reason why we do what we do. Excellent, thank you. So you kind of got a little bit to that next question, Susan, as far as what has been the most rewarding part of your job and or the most challenging part do you want to elaborate a little bit more on on that question, Susan? Sure. I think I think that part of that that balancing the public need from the project perspective, Fargo is a very good example of that with the flood risk management project. There's also in that project there's compromise and uh, contestation from people who are going to be adversely affected by the project for, um, for whatever duration. And we have a responsibility to try to create a project that provides the, in a sense, the greatest good for the greatest number. And we have to be able to communicate that to people. We have to do that at the same time that we're attempting to preserve and protect the cultural resources that may be adversely affected by the project, which is where Section 106 comes in with its primary cadence of avoid, minimize, and mitigate. You know, our job is to attempt, it, it's, it, in a way, it's almost like a doctor. It's like do no harm. And, and so we're in an environment where we're working to do the greatest good and the least harm at the same time and make the public aware of why we're doing what we're doing. Nancy, you can certainly speak to that. Yeah, because in, in some way it's the public, but also we are, you know, we have to be advocates for the variety of resources that we have. So it's also advocating within our own organization because, you know, when you're talking about the project Susan's referring to, there's a whole life safety, you know, it's about flooding, it's about, you know, having damages. So there's a whole, you know, it's about damage to a community in that way versus damage to a community where they may be interested in historic properties. So in that balance, we also have to argue within our own agency to say why something is important, why we have to do it. And we start from that position of preservation in place. But the process, it doesn't dictate that that is the outcome. And we try to work with communities to argue for that, provide a place for that, as well as the challenging part comes in is when we can't, we can't get what everybody wants. And we either have to, we have to compromise. Somebody's always going to be unhappy. And the, you know, the hardest thing to do is to be the bearer of that bad news. We can do this, but we can't do that. And we have to say, but we have to say why we cannot do that what you know and and how we can try to preserve information or preserve something else for that community and that's always a tricky part that's the challenging part 
the the rewarding part is when you can make everything work and you go, wow, we've actually done something that's pretty good here. And we also we also get to be participants. We work with the state and we work with the local governments and we work with local historical societies and and we develop a, a sort of a cadre, a partnership in preservation. And so in many ways that helps to you know bridge the disappointment gap, if you will, that some people experience when a project comes in and transforms their landscape. Yeah, I, you know, partnerships are very important and it's always good to to have a group of people working together for a common goal. And I can see an, a lot of overlap as far as the public outreach and the, the civil servants in uh, the outreach role um, that I used to play when I worked at Rock Island District. I appreciate all of you and your service that you've given to the nation. So we're getting to the end of our session together, but before we depart, I would like to know where do you see this career field going in the future? So I'll just open that up for some discussion. So I'm, this is Nancy, I'll start first. Just to say that, so I deal from it with working with a lot of the other agencies at a particular level. We still have a lot, there's a lot of legislation, a lot of laws, we still have a lot of requirements and I don't see that structure changing anytime soon. So section 106 of the National Historic Preservation Act, where we have to consider, you know, how our undertaking can affect historic properties, or, you know, we have to maintain and manage historic properties on our own, the core has lands. So that's not changing. So we're always going to need a variety of cultural resources staff, archeologists, as well as all the other architectural historians and everything. But I think what has been interesting of late in the past four or five years is that a number of archaeology programs in, in different universities have changed. And so doing archaeology in the United States, some of those programs have gone away or have been blended back into where they're just, you know, archaeology and it's mostly archaeology, whether it's in Europe or the Middle East or in South America. So it's lost some of that, you know, sort of function of going into something like cultural resources management, whether you're on a contractor side, like Mark had been and like Mark and Susan had been and then had coming into the federal family. So we're always going to need those. We just need to make sure we have a continuing educated source of, of young students wanting to come in and doing this type of work. Nancy, what do you see as some of the, the cultural hurdles for that? Because I know one of the things that we had talked about earlier was the change in fields like, like geomorphology. So, so the state historic preservation offices um, at, the, at the state level who review and comment on our compliance work for Section 106 and who, with whom we coordinate our effects from projects, they are more engaged in uh, understanding landforms and landscape than they than they ever were. And at the same time, we're seeing fewer people who are, you know, participating in geoarchaeology or geomorphology as a field of study. As certain areas of the sciences uh, sort of become more critical to our understanding of the past, and at the same time, we have more difficulty finding people who are trained in those fields. How do you think that we can address some of that for the future for the core and, and, and be an attractive 
environment for people like that. I mean, I, I didn't mean to take over the role of asking the questions, but it, but it does seem to be relevant. Well, if I had the perfect answer, we wouldn't necessarily have a problem. And I think that's in part, and, and you know, I think it goes to the up and down. It's it's partly thinking about working for, you know, in federal service. Now, a lot of people say it's working for the government and that may or may not be desirable, but I think it's the understanding that um, some people just want to be able to do, I'm just going to go do field work 24 seven and that's all I want to do. So they're not necessarily going to work where there's more office work or as much office work as there is field work. So it's balancing, but it's also having people understand that what we do with that information that people gather, as well as having the, ex, you know, by different experts and uh, helping it to have a meaningful outcome is also very important. Otherwise, we're going to lose any ability to, we're going to lose more resources than we think we're losing or know we're losing now. Um, and I think that's going to be a problem. We also, you know, we were, we were just sort of talking, um, we talked about how people feel about history and there's a certain negative approach in some ways to understanding his, you know, what, what history, what archaeology tell us, what, what we interpret from the archaeological record and how we work on it with the historical record in certain places or what people know in, in bringing in an indigenous knowledge that that's not a popular thing to be doing, but it's something we're still required to do and still meaningful to do in a way to being able to balance you know, the things we just talked about, how to meet a certain objective with the Corps of Engineers and our water resources problems, but also doing it such that we are enabling a community to maintain certain aspects of itself that it wants to preserve. I think what we could do as an agency and what we try to do as an agency is stuff like this, like this podcast, where we talk about what we do and what we need to do, such that if one or two people hear it that they or have it might have had an interest. They may say, oh, I didn't realize that was a path I could follow. That was something I might be able to do. Or when people do STEM events, I know sometimes some districts get their archaeologists involved, and that's great. When I was in New York, we used to do sort of Earth Day things. And then, you know, we do things either in one of the, whether it's in New York City or something in New Jersey, we would do an event we would get to go to and talk about cultural resources and historic properties right under people's feet. I think the best version of that is we all actually took people out on one of the core vessels one time and had it go around like, you know, the Statue of Liberty, seeing the world from a different perspective. So it's an object and, and talking about what, you know, the different marine historic properties are actually is what we did. So it's, it's being able to play on the, thing that cachet that archaeology has always had because you always talk to people like why did you become an archaeologist or hey i didn't know you could i when i was eight i wanted to be an archaeologist but i didn't know you could get paid for it i didn't know it could be a job i didn't know it could be a career it can be in different ways and maybe that's what we also need to remind people of periodically i agree with that i think that that's that the recruitment is is one of the elements that we have or that within the corps of engineers um, and I see a lot of talent um, that's coming through our doors now um, as we're looking at uh, younger archaeologists and bringing them up. And that mix that the fact that the core has this blend from people who are, you know, my age and looking at retirement and people who are extremely young 
and we work together and, and mentor and um, play off against each other, inform each other, is, is one of the strengths of federal employment. Um, and so I can certainly see that all of you are passionate about archaeology, and I hope that we've influenced some other uh, young upcoming stars to join the Corps and just see why it's such a great agency. And like you said earlier, there are tons of opportunities to um, grow and expand and become the person that you were meant to be within the Corps of Engineers. Thank you, Nancy, Mark, and Susan for joining us today for this edition of Inside the Castle. We appreciate you and your insights into the career field of archaeology. Until next time, be safe, be innovative, and make sure to check out the many careers that the Corps of Engineers has to offer at www.usace.army.mil. Thanks for joining us for this Inside the Castle podcast. To provide your feedback, email us at cw.infrastructure.team at usace.army.mil. Stay tuned for additional Inside the Castle podcasts as we explore life inside the Corps and revolutionize civil works together.